Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app, The Inside Truth, about investigating one of the most difficult aspects of law enforcement officer-involved shootings. The misconceptions about when police have to investigate their own and more coming up on the Law Enforcement Today show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725 online at helpforourheroes.com. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those that suffer from substance abuse problems, the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. Their program features first responders and veterans helping first responders and veterans. Got questions? They have the answers at the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. Calling us from the great state of Illinois, we have George Flanco on the phone. George is chief of police of an agency. I'll, I'll let George explain to you uh, what he does and uh, his background because I don't want to mess it up. George, first of all, thanks for calling. Absolutely. My pleasure. Tell people you're currently what you do and your past experience. Well, currently I'm the chief of police for the village of Round Lake Park. Uh, small agency located in central lake county we're about 30 minutes uh, north of chicago uh prior to this one of my assignments was i was the commander of the lake county uh, major crime task force was with that unit for 12 years worked my way up the ranks from detective to commander commander for six years uh left about two years ago when you say Round Lake Park, a village around Lake Park, first thing that comes to my mind is a sleepy little hamlet-type township. And then you say, we're about 30 minutes north of Chicago. And you go, well, that changes the perspective totally. It does. And, of course, we all, as police chiefs, like to uh, look at our communities as sleepy little hamlets. Unfortunately, right now, we're right in the midst of dealing with a... Uh, a homicide involving four individuals that were shot. One, unfortunately, it was a fatality. So, no, not so much a sleepy hamlet. And I don't think that anywhere that exists anymore. Uh, there's a myth that we all tend to have that this is a good neighborhood, this is a bad neighborhood, this is a good part of a city, this is a bad part of a city. And I always tell people, 
you can move to the best school districts, the, the, the best area, the lowest amount of crime, and you forget when you're close to a major city where it's severe violent crime, these criminals drive stolen cars and they take buses and they target people like you. It's really interesting that you even mentioned the stolen car and the driving. A community just northwest of us had a crash involving a chase that started in Wisconsin. We're near that border. Ended up in two people dying in that crash. I believe these individuals may be suspect in a, a, a major crime spree, spree throughout Lake County and Wisconsin. And it, it's there's no area that's truly immune from it. And uh, that's why I always say to people, you don't want to go crazy about being on guard, but you always want to be aware, have situational awareness, have your head on a swivel a little bit, no matter where you are, because someone could be targeting you. And I don't want to belabor that point because we have so much stuff to talk about, George. One of the aspects of your job and one of the aspects of policing that I get questions about all the time, and I hear people, especially on social media, making posts that involves officer-involved shootings and investigating officer-involved shootings and the difficulties and a lot of misconceptions that are portrayed, frankly, by the media, whether it be social or, or other forms. True. I know that the mantra out there is police investigating police. Yes, that's the case. However, the state of Illinois, for example, two years ago uh, initiated some mandates that uh, now require officer-involved shootings to be investigated by independent organizations like the Lake County Major Crime Task Force, leaving that investigation to be completely independent with no ties. Uh, When we've investigated uh, shootings within Lake County, we always ensure that there is absolutely no connection between any of the investigators and the officer or officers involved in the shooting. And that's done for what reason? Well, we want to, uh, and I hate to overuse the word transparency, but we want to make sure that there's absolutely no bias involved. And what people need to understand with officer-involved shooting investigations, we strictly collect the facts, the evidence, the interviews, the facts. We don't judge. We don't. Uh, decide whether this was a a criminal act, a non-criminal act. We simply collect all those facts independent of any anybody, any influence, the organization that we may be interacting with or the department. They're completely sequestered away from us, so there's no influence. We've gone so far as to even operate from a different police agency's, uh, we call it a war room, just to keep it that independent. And that's all done for the purposes of, they rephrase that. We would do a lot of our case preparation, especially when I worked narcotics and we had time to plan out our investigation with the thoughts of how do we counter and dispel the suspicions that we know the defense attorneys are going to bring our way. And that's how we had to prepare cases. Just having probable cause wasn't enough. We had to bear that in mind about trial. So a lot of what you do nowadays with investigating officer-involved shootings, is that done to counter potential questions or doubts from other sources? That's correct. There's really no way of putting it. It's, it's, it's a CYA move, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. No, it isn't a bad thing. 
it's there's two points to these investigations that you've got to you got to look at. One, you're investigating the officer involved shooting aspect of it and presenting that case to the state's attorney's office. And as we all know in law enforcement, inevitably, no matter what the findings are, and fortunately, our findings have always been that the shooting has been justified, at least during my tenure. The state's attorney's always ruled that saying that, yeah, that was a justified shooting. But now, you're going to have to prepare for the civil case as well. So it's so important to address that aspect uh, during the investigation to cover every single detail, dispel witnesses that may have appeared from nowhere. Uh, we've had cases where the media suddenly will print an article saying that they've located an eyewitness to the shooting that said that the police uh, removed the weapon or there was no weapon there. They did this or they did that. Now we've got to go backtrack and re-interview and make sure that all those bases are covered. One of the things I think that gets lost in this is that there's the misconception that police investigating their own is something we're not capable of doing. Now, you said earlier that all the officer involved shootings you've investigated or been part of the investigation team, they were all justified. But it wasn't your determination whether uh, arrest was made or charges that was determined by a state's attorney, correct? That's absolutely correct. And here's how the process works. We're called to the scene by the member agency, and there's intergovernmental agreements signed uh, throughout Lake County. I'm using us as an example, but this is now a statewide uh, protocol. So we'll respond to the scene, and the scene is maintained by the agency initially. Then we'll start breaking them off, meaning that our detectives, our evidence technicians will entirely take over the scene and move any personnel from that member agency away from the scene so that they have no contact with anything that we're doing with our investigation. Now, that also includes, includes the brass, because you know they're going to be there. Oh, yeah. You know they're going to be very interested in what's going on. We will periodically update them as to what we're doing. We don't update them as to our findings. That's strictly presented to the state's attorney. I know the ones who have the ultimate call. Just my department, it was our homicide unit did it. And uh, IAD or IID, whatever terminology you want to use, would be involved as well. And everything presented to a state's attorney. And quite often, they would take it to a grand jury. And a grand jury would make the decision about whether it was justified, charges should be levied or not. And, and that was done strictly, or primarily, I should say, as a CYA political correct maneuver so they say if the grand jury didn't indict you can't blame us if they did you can't blame us uh we're talking with george falenko uh george is a police chief from uh, round lake park illinois we'll be talking about officer involved shootings and many aspects of that investigating of it uh, body camera video and so much more this is law enforcement show don't go anywhere we'll be right back Epidemic, America's public health crisis. These are all terms that describe the current problem of drug and alcohol abuse in the United States. Countless lives are lost and heartbroken families are too many to count. Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to saving lives. Call 888-991-9725 and online at transformationstreatment.center. 
Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has many acclaimed treatment programs offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. And online at transformationstreatment.center. If you haven't done so already, please download our app. It's 100% free. We got versions for your Android and iPhone devices, 100% free. You can download them today at our website, which is letradioshow.com. That's letradioshow.com. Be sure to get yours today. Return conversation with George Falenko. George is a police chief in Illinois, and we're talking about I say it's unique in that the news media seems to have a field day when it comes to one of the worst aspects of law enforcement. And I'm talking about officer-involved shootings. And when I say that, that doesn't necessarily mean that the officer shot someone. I was involved in four in my career. The first two, I never fired a shot back. It just wasn't the appropriate thing to do. And that could be a discussion in itself that could take up a whole show. The second two were long, drawn-out, horrific affairs. And uh, fortunately, everybody survived. When we talk about an officer-involved shooting, in your experience, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't necessarily mean that an officer shot and killed an offender. It could also mean that there was a discharge of a weapon towards an individual. There was an exchange of gunfire, anything involving the discharge of a firearm uh, towards any individual during the course of uh, a, an incident. So anytime, I mean, we've had officer-involved shootings that were simply a car in a traffic stop, all of a sudden there's movement by the car, an officer almost gets struck by that vehicle. He shoots at the vehicle, hits the rear quarter panel of the vehicle as it's fleeing, we're called out to the scene. Gotcha. Well, and that's really a, a, a moment when those things do happen where everything becomes super, super serious very, very quickly. And one of the biggest misconceptions I hear all the time is that police are not able to investigate their own. There's this, this I think it's unfair, I think it's inaccurate that we will overlook any type of wrongdoing by any individual, even if it's criminal nature, because of some blue wall of silence. We've gone to the extent, and I can just speak for my own agency, in fact, it's uh, coincidental that this afternoon I'm meeting with the Illinois State Police, which also has a separate entity that investigates officer-involved shootings. The reason I'm meeting with them, it's not a lack of confidence in the Major Crime Task Force. My concern is I've got three uh, past members, homicide investigators working for me currently, including myself, I'm still active on the street, that could potentially be involved in an officer-involved shooting. And we want this to be entirely independent. Calling in the task force could bring into question, well, listen, you're investigating guys that you work side-by-side with, and you're investigating the former commander. So we're going to be speaking to them and saying, look, worst-case scenario, if my agency has an officer-involved shooting, which right now, nationally, we all know 
that this is the worst case scenario for a police officer or community. Uh, the eye of the nation is going to be on this. You know, we saw what's been happening down in Fort Worth and other areas. So what I'm trying to do is cover every aspect, like you said, CYA, to show that this is going to be a completely neutral investigation. So probably within the next hour or so, we're going to see what we can come up with with the state police and have them on standby in the event I need them. That's a great idea. And, and you and I both know that there may be in time and, and certain situations where an officer may have said, I'm willing to put my welfare, my financial welfare, my family's welfare, everybody else's financial security is important to me, in jeopardy to cover you when you have a bad shooting. Those instances, I believe, were very, very rare, but I can't think of anybody nowadays that's saying, hey, where do I volunteer for that kind of risk? Jay, I've never encountered that experience with any police officer. And that's the truth, George. I never have either. And, and it, not just about shooting, about any kind of potentially criminal behavior. We didn't look the other way. Never. Never. I mean, look, maybe I'm old school or old-fashioned. The first day on the job, you raise your right hand, and you do swear an oath. And your word is your bond. And we tell our new officers when they come in, that there's three pieces to, to succeed in police work. One, follow the rules. Two, do your job. And three, never commit a criminal act. And perjury is a criminal act. Right. And oh, by the way, once a police officer has found to commit perjury or their credibility is called into question and is in doubt, they are useless on the job. You can't be used for any kind of court testimony or anything from that point on. They're Brady listed, and that's a term that's been uh, becoming uh, better known to the public. Correct. You're pretty, pretty much your your career's through. You're you're not able to credibly testify in court because there is a, re- a requirement that the defense be informed during the trial pretrial uh, discovery that this officer indeed is listed on a Brady list. And your experience investigating these use of force scenarios, and we're talking about use of force is never good. It's always ugly. It doesn't matter whether it's hands-on, physical use of force, or deadly force with the shooting. The officer involved is always going to look bad. It could be 100% justified in what they do. And and the facts and the law can support them, but the news media and, and the population doesn't seem to get that message. What can we be doing different? Unfortunately, we're bound by rules that the news media is not bound by or the general public during the course of any investigation there's a due process involved and it could be very lengthy now some of these typically take up to a week maybe longer we've had cases that have taken up to a month because of delays in forensic evidence we've uh, hired outside consultants to do three-dimensional reconstruction uh, now with the onset with drones, you know, there's all sorts of things that come in, into play here. What can we do? We can't do anything but our jobs and ensure the public that in the end we'll come to the truth. We're seeking the truth. We're putting the facts together. The state's attorney, you elected him, you put him in office. You need to have confidence in the fact that they act as an independent prosecutorial group and they have prosecuted police officers in the past. Absolutely right. And that's the exact answer I was hoping you would give. Because the, the, the short answer is, we would never do any, something that we knew would purposely 
damage a case and releasing information too early can prejudice the case and it, it can make it where it's almost impossible to prosecute and no one no cop ever wants to be that that person that, that ruins a case ever correct you come in with your reputation and hopefully 20 25 30 years later that's what you walk out with intact and you don't want to be that guy no and that that goes for people always say this when an officer shot and killed and the guy is arrested and brought to the station and he's obviously not been beaten up and they go why didn't they beat him up or if he has been beaten up there's been use of force involved they say well, of course they do that and those kind of things are what i'm talking about you don't ever want to prejudice the case you never want to be the one that says this is the, the guy who killed x amount of people and we lost the case because jay wiley lost his cool and punched him when he's handcuffed correct you know if you look back at some of the cases that are out there right now you know one of the things that we're training our officers to do and if you look at any current police officer's duty vest for example you might see a red cross on a pocket and within that pocket is going to be some first aid equipment. We, we use Israeli bandages. Now, those are intended for severe injuries, including gunshots. Not only to a police officer, but immediate first aid is rendered to the offender that's been shot. We simply don't there, leave them laying there. No, and we're going to talk more about that, and we're going to talk about body camera video how that's affecting these investigations and so much more this is the law enforcement show don't go anywhere we'll be right back if you want to be a guest on the law enforcement today's show just go to our website and contact me through there our website is letradioshow.com that's letradioshow.com So many people ask me, how did I transition from police work to a career in radio? What did I do to become a music radio DJ? Plus, host of the syndicated Law Enforcement Today radio talk show and podcast. The answer is simple. I attended the Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, where I learned by doing. At Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting's 11 East Coast campuses, students have learned by doing for 55 years. Radio, television, podcasting, and now coding for web development. At the Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, students learn in months, not years. Day and evening classes are available. Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting is perfect for those graduating from high school, adults looking for new career training, first responders, and veterans too. For veterans, some or all your tuition could be covered by your VA benefits. Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting has locations in Connecticut, Florida, Georgia, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, and North Carolina. Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, training in audio, video production, television, sports, podcasting, radio, and web development. What are you waiting for? Get more information. Call 800-887-2346 or online at gocsb.com. For special offers and consideration, tell them you heard about them from Law Enforcement Today. That's 800-887-2346 and online at gocsb.com. Again, 800-887-2346 and online at gocsb.com. Back to our phone conversation with George Falenko, Chief of Police in Illinois. Uh, what's the name of the department again? Round Lake Park. 
We've been talking a lot about officer-involved shootings, investigating them, and you brought up a great point for winter break. You're talking about the Red Cross insignia on officer's duty belt or duty vest and what that contains, and why are we required to administer aid to someone you just shot? We've sworn an oath to what? Serve and protect. We've shot an individual, and that individual possibly is still alive. We're not going to be determining that. What we're going to do is render aid. That's what we're trained to do. You've got to put the situation that just happened behind you and switch into now I'm into first aid mode. Very important. And that goes back back to a very important part that I I don't think is talked about enough is that when an officer does use deadly force, does fire their gun, we do it. I was always trained. We do it until the threat is neutralized. So they might say, well, why didn't they just shoot them once in the hand or the leg like they do on television? Well, it's not that easy. It's hard enough hitting center mass when they're moving and you're moving and they're firing at you and you're trying to get cover, everything else. But you once the, the suspect is down and no longer is a threat, you go into life-saving mode. You go into two modes. You go into life-saving mode, and if you're an experienced police department, unfortunately we do have some large agencies within Lake County that encounter these officer-involved shootings quite frequently, you go into evidence preservation mode as well. You've got to preserve the crime scene because when I show up or my team shows up, that's the first thing we're going to go to is the crime scene. Make sure it's secured. Make sure that nothing has been moved. Now, granted, if the individual is wounded, life-saving takes effect, they're obviously going to be transported to the hospital, but the scene needs to remain intact. Because it's a potential homicide scene. It is. A homicide, we all know by definition, is the taking of another person's life by unnatural means. So although you can refer to an officer-involved shooting as a homicide, it's not a murder per se. Exactly. One of the things I tell people is very, very difficult, and it's my experience. When I was in one of my officer-involved shootings and you get brought to, I got brought to headquarters and was interviewed by detectives about what happened and everything else, and you write the police report, so they write theirs. And in ours, we had the line for the victim, and that was the person that I shot, even though he just murdered someone and did an armed robbery and was shooting at me. And the suspect in this shooting was me. And that was very disconcerting at the time. I understand it, but I don't think a lot of people beyond police work or even in police work understand the dynamics of that. It's a very emotional and very stressful Topic in that I've spoken to officers who have been involved in shootings uh, decades ago where they were treated as if they were the offender and it had damaging effects. It does. Now we respond and we hope that the agency has set protocols in place, meaning there's one requirement, again, the state of Illinois passed a couple of years ago that requires a blood draw. So where's that going to happen? That's going to happen at a hospital. What's going to happen at the hospital is this. No matter what the officer tells you, based on our experience, the blood pressure, the heart rate, everything is elevated to a point of almost dangerous. So you've got to take that all into perspective as well. You know, one thing I wanted to mention, too, is part of that protocol 
Uh, we removed the weapon that was used by the officer, but many departments now replace that weapon immediately, and that's a psychological uh, issue to ensure the officer, look, business as usual, you're not being blamed for anything at this point. There's an investigation that's going to go on. You're still a good police officer in good standing, and we're going to take care of you. And that's the way it should be with police departments. And that is the way it should be. But people can misread that, and I think they often do, that that's us covering for someone else. And that that's not the intention, and that's not the reality of what happens. If an officer is wrong and does something blatantly criminal, you still treat them the best you can, just like you would any other criminal suspect. But if they're going to face charges, they're going to face charges. I, I, don't, I don't know the right, right way to say this, George. It's like, we have a job to do. We're going to do the job. We try to take care of each other. But when they are flat out wrong, you do what you got to do. If they're wrong, they've committed a criminal act, they're wrong. And we have sworn an oath. Like I said, my big three is do not commit a criminal act because we will seek justice. However, if we're investigating, we're a neutral body, and you know the officer was justified, that is going to surface to the top. But it's going to take some time. Mm-hmm. These things are not done within hours. Unfortunately, I know the public and I know the media want everything done yesterday. They want the information immediately. You know that's not possible. You know we're fresh into this. Let's say it's a death. So now we're waiting for an autopsy. Now the autopsy is possibly scheduled within the first 24 hours, but then people need to understand, great, we've determined that this person died as a result of a gunshot wound from an officer, but now we've got to wait approximately anywhere from 7 to 15 days for toxicology results from the person that was shot. Were they on drugs? Was was there a pre-existing medical condition? And also, we have to wait for toxicology results from the officer as well. So, now there's a time delay, and as time goes by, you and I both know that the perception is there's a cover-up of sorts. Yeah. They're just trying to manipulate the facts. It is absolutely incorrect. And even when so much of what people think nowadays, just in my, my opinion, is based on watching these television shows, NCIS and all these other ones, that they have toxicology reports, they can run it on a computer right there in front of them and have the details. And if you and I as police don't release that information right away immediately to anybody who ever asked for it, then it's automatic cover-up. I mean, we're not doing our due diligence as independent investigators by immediately biasing public opinion via the media. It's another great reason why a lot of departments don't give any more than the basic information. I see it all the time when I'm watching a news press release and they'll have the shooting team there, the investigating team there, and the questions are very long. There are multiple stage questions and the the answers from are, we can't answer that right now, or no answer right now, or I don't have that information right now. And I understand why, but I can also understand like I said, from the influence of these television shows, why people think that that information should be released immediately. We are talking with George Falenko. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. We're talking about officer-involved shootings, investigating them, and all the complications. We'll have more of that conversation coming your way in a few moments. Don't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. 
If you've missed past episodes of the Law Enforcement Today radio show, never fear. You can listen to them online as a podcast. Just go to our website, letradioshow.com, where you'll find all the podcast episodes and much more. That's letradioshow.com. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. Joining us on the phone, calling from Illinois. We have Police Chief George Falenko joining us. Thanks so much for joining us, George. Very much appreciated. You're welcome. And by the way, George has written several articles at Law Enforcement Today. Uh, great insight that only someone who's been in the field for a long time can offer. Go to lawenforcementtoday.com. You can always search in George Falenko, F-I-L-E-N-K-O, and they should pop up. One of the questions I get all the time, the whole body cam thing, the dash cam was before my time. I wish we had it when I was on the job because it would have eliminated 99.9% of the complaints that, that were lodged against me. But I see video, and it's ver- not often is it clear, but when they are very clear that the officer was 100% justified in what they did, people still chime up, especially on social media, it's been photoshopped, it's done, it's done this, it's done that. Has it been helpful in your experience? Oh, extremely helpful. Um, you know, one of the things that we do, or at least our evidence technicians do, is immediately they will not only grab the officer's body cam video, anybody who responded, any police vehicle video that responded, and something that people tend to forget, there is so much video out there, meaning you could have witnesses that have been standing by filming off of their uh, their phones. We also have businesses that have extraordinary video. All of that is collected. So video, you've got to look at it by perspective. Now, a video, a body cam, where does it point? It points straight forward. What about the other 360 degrees? So we try to collect as much of that as possible. Altering that? Absolutely not. I mean, that would be ridiculous. An expert witness in court could take that and tear it to shreds. What's the point of that? And again, we're not there to cover up the incident. We're there to chronologically, very ethically, systematically investigate the officer involved shooting. And video is extremely valuable. And I agree with you 100%. And this is where I hear it from officers consistently. Boy, I wish I had that back in my day. It saves us so much time offsetting complaints trivial complaints and allegations. Uh, it's unimaginable right now that, that we would go out without body cam video. And I know there was some objection to it initially, but now officers are actually standing in front of the watch commander's door saying, I need my camera replaced. It doesn't seem to be functioning well. Can you just check it? Because I don't feel comfortable going out there without it. I don't blame them nowadays because everybody's taking videos and look, that's their right. They're allowed to do that in most states. Everybody has different laws, uh, but there's so much on the line. When you're a law enforcement officer, you have to make a a decision in a matter of moments. I mean, seconds, and it's going to be dissected by lawyers and judges and, and everybody else. And there's a lot online, and they could wind up being sued themselves and their families put in, in jeopardy. So I would want that evidence with me all the time. Absolutely. And you're right. The effect of an officer-involved shooting, we don't need to just focus on the officer, the offender that was shot. 
the exchange of gunfire. There are so many other individuals that are going to be involved in this. The police department, the community, the officer's family, the offender's family, uh, potential witnesses. I mean, this, this just keeps expanding. And yes, we need to safeguard that video. And is it always what you see initially on that video? Yes and no. It's difficult because we've had bad video that if you looked at it, and this, the type of video I'm talking about is perhaps from a business, an outdated video camera system that should have been replaced 10, 15 years ago. Nevertheless, it's video. It's evidence. We're going to collect it. We're going to look at it. Looking at it from the perspective and the quality of the video actually appears, oh, my goodness, uh, I don't know. Did that officer, was that a justifiable shooting? just based on the non-clarity of the video. So it's, it's very important for us to keep advancing these video systems, getting different angles. I can speak for my department right now, the video system we have not only intermixes with the, the car videos, as soon as vehicles and officers arrive on the scene, all the video cameras and the video equipment in the squad cars simultaneously start connecting. So you're almost getting a three-dimensional perspective, which is it's gold to have in any type of use of force incident. So literally, there's, I'm old. So I start thinking like the big brothers watching. I start thinking of the eye in the sky sort of thing. And those sort of things sound ominous and scary. But when you're talking about all this, it sounds like this could be life-saving stuff and it could and quite often, I imagine, does prove innocence. It proves no fault, and it proves justifiable cause for the shooting. Even so, and I'm not disputing this, but even so, even with video, even with car video, body cam video, you have the officer's testimony about what they went through, what they saw, what they observed, what they felt when they felt their life was threatened. You have a civilian eyewitness who corroborates everything, says, yep, this is what happened. The guy was out of his mind. He pulled out a gun, was threatening to shoot the police, and then the police uses deadly force, and they'll turn around and criticize and, and want to crucify the officer because they say, well, was a death by suicide. You should have found a way to de-escalate it. You're actually correct. You should have found a way to de-escalate it. I mean, did, did, they want, did they want their officers to be like Superman, psychiatrists, emergency room doctors, lawyers, jujitsu practitioners, and, and sharpshooters all in one and be able to know the worst possible scenario and situations? Jay, one line that I remember using in interviews uh, with officers, and as a detective, I was involved in some of the primary interviews of officers who actually... Uh, shot an offender, I'd always express this, look, I know you didn't get up today, and the first thing you said to yourself when you look at yourself in the mirror to shave is, you know what, I'm probably going to go out and shoot somebody today. It's that quick, it's that unexpected, your decision making is just incredible, your training kicks in, sometimes there just is no other way, no matter how many tools we have in the toolbox all the less lethal weapons, all the negotiation techniques, all the CIT, which is the de-escalation training, it just comes down to this is it, the ultimate use of force. And nobody goes out, nobody that I've ever known goes out every on duty, on patrol, and says, this is the day I'm going to use my gun. Yeah. In fact, that's, a, that's exactly what you're trying to avoid.
I've seen so many videos. Of course, you do the yearly in-service training, they have videos, and they'll always have some officer who was involved in a shooting, and he said, I'd never pulled my gun except the range to qualify, you know, in 15 years, and all of a sudden, boom, here I was in a life and death battle. And I can just say from my own experience, when these did happen, they happened very quickly, very unexpectedly, and my first thought always was, I can't believe they're trying to do this to me. And that's exactly what officers relate to us and say, boy, I did not expect that to happen today. I did not expect to walk into this situation. I walked out into the lobby because I thought this guy just needed directions. And the next thing I know, he just pulled a gun on me. And we've got a video of it. And of course, I, I, I was trapped. I had no other recourse but to shoot him. And that's an actual situation that we investigated. And those things happen. But if you found it difficult when you have this sort of situations come up where the officer literally had no other choice, that people would not receive that message. They were still overly critical. You're going to have the naysayers. You're going to have the conspiracy theory people, no doubt. Uh, with the onset of the Internet, you know how easy it is to get onto social media and just be critical of the police. Yeah, this is a conspiracy. This is a cover-up. The officer had other options. Well, you know what? You're not walking in that officer's shoes. Neither am I. What other options? Put yourself in that officer's position. You tell me what you're going to do. And by the way, just about every department in the United States is hiring. So if you are one of those people that is always criticizing the police, that they don't do it right, or they're stupid, or they didn't have uh, other options that they could have exercised, that you knew better. I would suggest you go apply. If you are able to make it through the background investigation, everything else, the academy, hit the streets, and then let us know what you think. Absolutely. Because, by the way, is your department hiring? It sure is. <laughs> I think just about every department I know of is hiring because of the uh, reluctance uh, by individuals based on what's going on nationally with criticism of the police. People are just reluctant to see this as a career. And I still would advocate it. I have a daughter who's thinking about becoming a police officer. Uh, I'm a nephew in the academy, and uh, I try to give them the, the straight scoop from my experience. And, uh, George, you doing that today is very, very much appreciated. We definitely have to be back in the future on the Law Enforcement Show. Very, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today Show. We've got another great guest heading your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.